Well, good morning, church. It is good to be here today. I'm excited to see you all. Uh, some of you may know who we, I am, and my wife and I. Uh, we used to be on staff here at South Hills. I was a pastor of community and outreach for about nine years. And in January, God transitioned uh, Mel and I out of the church and back into full-time vocational missions. We serve with an organization called World Venture. And uh, we wear two hats with that organization. One of the hats that we wear is we come alongside and coach and mentor and encourage uh, people who move to the field, move overseas for the first time. So their first four years overseas, we're their coach and their mentor. There's about 50 people across Asia Pacific that we're responsible for, uh, helping them just get rooted and grounded so they have a long-term effective ministry proclaiming the gospel in the countries that they're at. Uh, the second hat that we wear is that uh, we are in charge of short-term missions for World Venture globally, and uh, anybody serving less than a year, we're responsible for. So we have uh, people serving around the world right now, both as individuals, anywhere from a month to a year, as well as we have a variety of teams that go out through World Venture and serve cross-culturally. And uh, so that's what keeps us busy. Uh, we continue to live here in the Tri-Cities, but we travel extensively, uh, which is why some of you may have think that we left the church, that we died, that something happened. Um, but South Hills is still our home. We continue to be here when we're in town, and uh, it's a delight. I'm grateful that uh, Scott has offered me the opportunity to share the word with you this morning. Uh, but it is interesting. Uh, one of the things, I love culture. Uh, I love travel and being able to see different cultures, seeing how people view the world, uh, what they're worldview looks like, and uh, God's given us the privilege to be in over 30 countries up to this point. And one of the things that fascinates me is coming back to the U.S., and, uh, and in the West, here in North America, uh, our perspective on suffering and blessing. Uh, as North American Christians, uh, we can have this attitude permeate our belief system, our theology, our churches— that almost says, if you're loving Jesus, if you're seeking to follow him, if you're pursuing him, then life is going to be rosy. He's going to bless you. And if you're going through something difficult, or you're suffering, or you've got illness, or you've got something going on, there's sin in your life. But I don't see that as across scripture. It's a Somewhere in the fact that here in the West, we are blessed. And uh, Scott taught last week on the warnings to the wealthy, and he rightly so said, if you're sitting in this room today, you're wealthy. And you might go, no, I'm not. I, I mean, I see the people who are wealthy in town, but I've been around the world, and you are wealthy. And with that comes this mindset that it's because of where I live, it's because of who I am, or it's because God, I'm doing well with God, and so he's going to bless me. But that is not how the world works, and that's not what Scripture teaches. Matter of fact, I think the reality is probably, uh, well, we can gain some wisdom from the dread pirate Roberts, I think. Rest, Highness. I know who you are. Your cruelty reveals everything. You're the Dread Pirate Roberts. Admit it. With pride. What can I do for you? You can die slowly, cut into a thousand pieces. Hardly complimentary, Your Highness. Why lose your venom on me? You killed my love. It's possible. I kill a lot of people. 
Who was this love of yours? Another prince like this one? Ugly, rich, and scabby. No. A farm boy. Poor. Poor and perfect. With eyes like the sea after a storm. On the high seas, your ship attacked. And the dread pirate Roberts never takes prisoners. I can't afford to make exceptions. I mean, once word leaks out that a pirate has gone soft, people begin to disobey you, and then it's nothing but work, work, work all the time. You mock my pain! Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. Life is pain, Highness. Right? Most of us can relate to that. Even Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. Not if in this world. He said, in this world, you will have. The reality is, you're either in suffering, discouragement, or trials. You've just come out of it, or you're about to go into it. I don't know where you're at today. You might be in the midst of it. And if you are, we pray that this message is an encouragement to you. If you're just coming out of it, boy, run to the goodness of God, right? What we just sang about. And if you're about to go into it, again, we pray that this message will undergird and strengthen you. We're in the book of James, uh, continuing through this series uh, in James and Scott has told us about James's ABBA logic, his, you know, the ABBA dance move thing uh, that James uses. And we see that again today because in chapter 1, James started by talking about consider all joy when you encounter various trials. He started with this concept of trials and suffering and difficulty. And now, as we are closing in on the end of the book here in chapter 5, he revisits the concept of suffering and trials and difficulty. And we're going to look at that together. And we're going to ask the question today, how does faith work when you are suffering? How does faith work when you're suffering? And some of you say it doesn't. But... Our hope today is that you will see how it works. So James, New Testament, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to open uh, to the book of James, Philemon, Hebrew James, right before First and Second Peter. You get to Revelation, you've gone a little bit too far, work your way back just a few books. James, and we're in chapter 5 today. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to have it on the screen, or it could be on the, the handout that you got when you came in. But if you wouldn't mind standing with me as we read James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7 and going through verse 12. James says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Amen? Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear 
not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us your word, for not putting us on this earth to try and figure out how to get through suffering on our own, how to work with difficult people on our own. But you've given us an example of those who've gone before us. You've given us the truth in your word. And Lord, as we come to your word this morning, may it speak to each of us right where we're at. Lord, we invite your spirit to come into this room, to have freedom to move about, to encourage those that need to be encouraged, to challenge those that need to be challenged, to convict those that need to be convicted. Lord, we ask for you to be at work today. We ask for your words to be proclaimed, and we ask that you and you alone would be glorified in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Um, So I'll be honest, I'm a little frustrated with Scott today. I mean, I love Scott, but I have joked, even from this pulpit in the past, that I don't preach on patience. Because in order to preach on patience, God has to teach me patience beforehand. And then what does Scott do? Scott invites me to preach and gives me this passage where James starts by saying, be patient. Brother. So you know how my week has gone already, right? We'll just get that out there. I also need to let you know that my first point is patience with people. I'm a person. I'm preaching. I hope I don't test your patience today. (laughs) So uh, let's delve into this. Um, Patience with people. That's where we're starting. Yeah, and I know that's hitting home for some of us, right? Because... Our patience with people has been tested this week. Maybe it's been a family member that just rubs us the wrong way. Maybe it's that guy who cut us off in traffic. Maybe that's that coworker or that boss. Somebody's just grating against us. But I want to give us some context for this patience with people. See, in, in verse 7, James starts with, Be patient then, brothers and sisters. So that then, or that therefore, is tying us into the previous section of verses that Scott talked about last week, where he was the warning to the wealthy, and that the wealthy were withholding the wages of the worker, and their voices were crying out to God. So as we think about this, brothers and sisters, that's the believers he's writing to, uh, be patient then He's classing the brothers and sisters, he's classing this section to the people who were being oppressed by the wealthy in the previous section. So then it's easy for us to check out and say, well, you know, I don't have anybody withholding my wages. I don't have anybody, you know, stealing my money next to the government. Um, But we all have people in our lives, like we said, who can rub us the wrong way, who they're putting us down to move themselves forward, who are oppressing us, maybe not with finances, but with their words or with other things in their lives or in our life. We all have people who test us, who oppress us, who hurt us, who just, you know, right? 
And what does James tell us to do with them? Be patient. Really, Lord? That's your advice in this situation? Now, in this passage, this section of verses, James uses two different words for patience. Here in in verse um, 7 and in verse 8 and verse 10, the word he uses is a a compound word. And it actually, I misprinted my slide here. It says long-suffering here. What I want you to write in your notes, if you're a note taker, is long-tempered. That's actually the translation. And I think that's a little bit richer of a translation than long-suffering. Because our temper gets the best of us, right? James is telling us to be long-tempered, long-fused, let it ride with those people that oppress us, that push us down, that cause our suffering and our heartache and our, our, our frustration. The idea is to set a timer of one's temper for the long haul. Boy, that's hard to do, isn't it? self-restraint, an attitude that's not going to be vindictive, to seek to get back, because that's the opposite of what we typically do, right? Cruising down the highway, some guy cuts you off. What do you do? You lay on the horn, maybe you swerve around him and give him an ugly look at the signal. That's not long-tempered. Got that colleague who maybe lies about you to get ahead, what do you do? We're typically not long-tempered, are we? We're trying to figure out a way to get him back. Forgetting that God's in control. He's got a plan. He's got a perspective. He's asking us to be long-tempered, to be patient with those around us. We do need help. And ultimately, what James is going to show us in this section of verses is that suffering causes God to be glorified and you to be purified. If you forget everything else today, I want you to remember that thought. Suffering causes God to be glorified and you to be purified. That person who cut you off on the highway, that might be God's purification in your life. Helping you become long-tempered. Forming you molding you, shaping you to be more in his image so that through your life, he can be glorified. As we become more purified through suffering, we are more able to bring glory to him. And that's ultimately what it's about. It's not about me and my comfort and my ease. It's about God and his glory and his majesty. Now, as a teacher and a preacher, one of the things we like to do is we like to come up with practical illustrations to help drive points home. I love James because James has done the hard work for me. And he's given us three illustrations in these few verses of what this idea of patience looks like. So illustration number one is the farmer. The farmer. Now, I'll be truthful and honest here, full transparency, I'm not a big yard work kind of guy, all right? I know people who are, and they love to farm, and they, I mean, the, the main wearing's got me, and they've got the incredible vegetable garden, the yoders are incredible. These people, I, I love it. But I have to remind you, yard work was part of the original curse. 
By the sweat of your brow, you're going to work the ground. It's not supposed to be enjoyable, folks. I'm just telling you. But here we are with the farmer as an illustration. Go back to verse 7 with us. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently, there's that word again, waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Now here in the tribe, we have lots of irrigation. Lots of irrigation water, river water. And, uh, and so we don't necessarily always think of this concept of having to wait and pray for the timing of the rains. Now, those of you who are farmers will come up afterwards and tell me, yes, we do, because if the rain comes at harvest time, it ruins the crop. If we don't get enough snowpack in the mountains in the winter, then we don't have enough irrigation to water our crops. As a farmer, you are still patiently waiting. Most of us aren't farmers, so we're going to have a little bit more challenge to relate to this. But see, in Palestine, in the people that James is writing to, the early rains came in October and November, and the late rains came in April and May. And the farmer needed both for his crop. And he didn't have the river irrigation to help him along if those rains didn't come. So he's patient. When's the Lord going to bring the rain? Okay, I'm praying from trusting the Lord for the rain. When's the rain going to come? He's watching the sky. He's waiting. But in the waiting, he's not sitting on the front porch in a hammock. I don't know if you've met any farmers. They're some of the most hardworking people I know. Yes, they're waiting. They're trusting God for the weather, for the snowpack, for the rain, for the sun. To keep the disease out, to keep the bugs away. But at the same time, they're diligent, working, leaning in, doing their part. And that's what James encourages us to do in verse 8. What do we do in the waiting while we're patiently waiting for those rains to come? You too, be patient. I don't know if you're counting, that's the third time he said the word patient. I hope you're getting the theme here. You too, be patient and stand firm. Now, it's an interesting word when we're talking about patience, particularly patience with people, because I know a lot of you, when somebody cuts you off or wrongs you, you're ready to stand firm, let me tell you. That's not the stand firm that James is talking about. The actual meaning of stand firm here means to strengthen your hearts. It's not standing up in defiance and letting that person have it. Strengthen your hearts is what James is telling us to do. In the patient waiting, in the suffering, when you've been wronged, when it's not going your way, when you're weary, you're worn, when there isn't a cloud in the sky, how do you strengthen your heart? Our strength in our hearts by coming and leaning into God. In those difficult times, we run towards Him. We remember His goodness. We trust in Him, our Savior, as we sang about. Romans tells us that our life is transformed by the renewing of our mind. I love the linking of those two things. If you're struggling seeing your life transformed when it comes to having that long temper towards other people, 
I'd like to suggest this morning that it starts with what's going on up here. What are we filling our minds with? Because when we fill our minds, it strengthens our hearts and it transforms our life. So in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of heartache, we need to run to Him. But that's the complete opposite of what we're used to doing, isn't it? When we get wronged, we, we internalize. When we're suffering, we withdraw. We come into ourselves instead of reaching out. I want to encourage you this morning, if you're in the midst of suffering, if you're in the midst of heartache, if somebody's wronged you, come back to God and His Word. Fill your mind with His truth. Flood your mind with His thoughts so that it can transform your life. Run into community. Find other believers who will come and encourage and support and encourage you. Four years ago on a May Sunday morning, I was out in the lobby and I got a text from one of my children. I don't want to have a relationship with you anymore. Please do not reach out. Please do not communicate. I couldn't say through church that day. Hopped in my car, grabbed my wife, and we headed to our friend's house. And they opened their front door, and they just held us. And they let us cry. And they prayed with us, and they encouraged us. How easy at that moment to run away. But it was through running to community that God strengthened us. A few years ago, my dad was in the hospital with COVID. And I went up to stay with my mom, who has advanced Alzheimer's. We didn't realize how bad it was until that week. And dad's in the the hospital with COVID. And mom's Alzheimer's was progressing. And I was told, whatever happens with them, whatever the next steps are, it's on your shoulders. you got to figure it out. you got to take care of it. I was weak. I was worn. I was low. And my wife sent me a song. Spotify. And I put it on repeat about hope. And then I went through into Spotify and I created my own playlist called Prisoner of Hope. I just kept dumping songs in there that talked about hope, that talked about God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's depth in his character and his care. And it strengthened my heart and allowed me to take the next step and to take the next step. When you're under it, when you're patiently waiting, when the, you pray and it doesn't seem like there's any answer, keep praying. Keep coming back to God's word. Find community. Join into that life group. Get supported. Put that praise music on. Fill your mind, fill your heart with the truth of God's word. Because that is how our heart is strengthened and how we can become more long-tempered, how we can be patient with people, and how we can continue on. But you might ask, well, why strengthen my heart? And then sometimes I just want to deck the guy, right? Why strengthen my heart? Why lean into that? Why stand firm? And James goes on and says, because the Lord's coming is near. Amen? He's coming back, folks. He's going to be here. I don't know if it's going to be today. I don't know if it's going to be next week. I don't know if it's going to be years from now. But it's coming. It's closer today than it was yesterday. And when he shows up, I want to be waiting for him. 
I don't want to be decking somebody. I don't want to be in a hole by myself, overcome with sorrow. I want to be looking forward. He's going to set everything right. He's not going to do it today. But when he comes back, he is going to set everything right. Because suffering causes God to be glorified and you to be purified. While you're waiting for his return, allow him to purify you so that you can glorify him. And ultimately one day when he comes in the clouds, he will be glorified and every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. Even that guy that's ticked you off and that puts you under his thumb, that guy, he too is going to bow and acknowledge who Jesus Christ is. You don't need to help him meet them early, okay? We want to be patient with people. We want to strengthen our hearts. We want to look forward to his coming. But what do we do? James knows what we do. He tells us in verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. He knows this is a difficult concept for us. And that's why he gives us the warning. And notice here, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. He's writing to believers. He wants us not only to be patient with the outsider, but to be gracious with the insider. And let's face it, Christians are great at putting each other down. One of the few people in the world who shoot our own wounded at times. We need to have grace with each other. Patient toward the outsider and with the insider who irritates us. And it's interesting here, this idea of don't grumble. We think of that as an outward thing. And we have to be careful of this because Christians are awful at the idea of sharing prayer requests when actually all we're doing is gossiping or grumbling about somebody else. You need to pray for Mark. Uh, Let me tell you about what's going on with him. And what do we do when we're grumbling and we're gossiping? But the idea here for grumble, it's actually this inward, heavy sigh, this idea of bitterness and smothered resentment we got to be careful of that because it gets in there and it starts to feed and grow and then it affects us. Again, it comes back to our mind. What are we doing with those thoughts that we have about that person that we feel has wronged us? Do we let them sit in there and stew and grow and become bitterness and resentment or do we surrender them and strengthen our hearts and fill our minds with the truth of God's Word? I told you, i got to learn it before I teach it. And one of this week, I joked with one of my colleagues in Africa. Melanie are dealing with a crisis with one of our, our short-termers, and we're, a small team of us is working on the resolution to this. And everybody kind of come and voiced their opinion. We knew what we were going to do, but we needed this one couple to pull the trigger and say, this, this is what, what's going to happen. But they live in Ghana in West Africa, and they were traveling across Ghana in Africa, and it was nighttime, and it was stormy, and it was, um, it was just not easy. They didn't have much cell service. It wasn't easy for them. And it's daytime for me, so when, I know, when they pull the trigger, I can start making things happen. And I had to wait. And I got impatient. And I had to ask for forgiveness for them. 
because I kept pestering them. Why won't they just do it? Why don't they make the decision? We know what we got to do. Let's do it. And God had to pull me back again. And we have to be careful that our impatience with God doesn't become impatience with his people. Because when we do that, we take the sickles and instead of using them on the harvest, we start using them on each other. And we don't get a harvest when that happens. Patience with people. So James gives us the first illustrations of uh, the farmer. His second illustration is the prophets. Now the prophets were, the James would have, readers would have known who the prophets were. Uh, they would have read their writings. Oh, much of the Old Testament is filled with the prophets. If you're doing the one-year Bible, you would have been reading about Elijah and Elisha this week. They were prophets. If you haven't been doing the one-year Bible or you've gotten off track, don't be discouraged. Strengthen your heart. Start this week. Jump right back in and, and continue to read along. But Elijah and Elisha were prophets. There's other prophets. Uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, the list can go on. And when you think about uh, the prophets, as uh, James mentions them as a collective group. We can go back to the verse. Uh, the prophets, brothers and sisters, an example of patience in the face of suffering. Take the prophets, plural. So he's talking about a group. Uh, I got to be honest, uh, when I think about a suffering prophet, um, I think of Jeremiah. Uh, you know, here he was enduring mistreatment and patience. He was put in stocks. He was thrown into prison. He was lowered into a miry dungeon. And yet through it all, he persisted in his ministry without that grumbling or complaining. James isn't the only one to use the prophets as an illustration. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus used the prophets when he talked about uh, blessed are those. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. goes on to say in verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Right? Uh, that kind of goes counterintuitive. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven watching for a second coming, for in the same way the persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus referred back to the prophets. The writer of Hebrews recounts the suffering of so many godly men and women, and then he finishes with these words. These were all commended for their faith. They were commended, I would say, for their long-temperedness. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. As they looked forward, they strengthened their hearts as they looked forward to God's coming, Jesus' coming again, looking towards his imminent return. And finally, Paul told Timothy, this is just humbling, scary. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. Now, I have to also, let's temper this a little bit. Right today, I'm not expecting that you're going to be thrown into prison because you're a believer. That day could come. But also be careful of, you know, I couldn't find that parking spot because I'm being persecuted. That's not persecution, all right? But there are people who find out what you stand for and find out what your background is and find out what your beliefs are. And they're going to put you down. They're going to look to sideline you. They're going to look to discredit you. They're going to question you. And we have to just be aware of that. Because as we live 
seeking to love Jesus, to serve Jesus, that's going to rub people the wrong way because when truth meets an unrepentant heart, there's going to be conflict. But in the midst of that, remember that suffering causes God to be glorified and you to be purified. Now in verses 11 and 12, uh, James transitions from patience with people to patience in circumstances. And here's where the word shifts. So the first word for patience was long-tempered. Um, and the second word here he uses for, is the idea of persevered. And the word persevered means to remain under. To remain under. It means to stay put and stand fast when you'd like to run away. Ever been there? Circumstances aren't going your way. You're feeling under it. I just want to flee. But that's not what James encourages us to do. And he brings us back to his third example. We'll go back to the verse there. James 5.11. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance. Uh, some of you might be familiar with Job, whole book in the Old Testament about his life. Uh, talk about perseverance. Job was not privy to the discussion in the heavens between God and Satan. He didn't, he didn't know that was going on. All he knew was that he lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost his possessions. He lost his health. And then his wife said, curse God and die. And his friends came out and hung out with him and said, why don't you fess up and tell everybody what you've done wrong so you can get over this? And he hadn't done anything wrong. All this happened to him. He wasn't deserving of this judgment. He wasn't deserving of this pain and this suffering. And to me, that in and of itself flies, against, flies in the face of those who would say, if you love Jesus, if you follow Jesus, life is going to be great. That's what Job was doing. He's not the only person that that happened to. Think about Jesus. 100% God, 100% man. Lived in heaven, everybody worshiped him. It was great. And out of obedience to his father, he came down to this earth. He lived an example, he lived a sinless life. He healed, he loved, he served. And yet he was still lied about, arrested, beaten, spat upon, and ultimately hung on a cross. He didn't deserve that. His life didn't deserve that, but he did it because he loves you, because he wants to meet you in your suffering and in your pain, because he wants to strengthen your heart in the midst of what you're going through. He died on the cross and he came back to life so that God would be glorified and you would be purified. That's what his life was about, and he didn't deserve it. So even when you're loving Jesus and you're pursuing him and you're following after him, difficult things are going to happen. And notice in verse 11, James does not commend Job for his patience. Job wasn't patient. Job persevered. He was impatient with God. And I think God was okay with that. And he's okay with us when we're impatient with him at times. But he still wants us to pers persevere. 
Job 13, 15, Job said, Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. No matter what's going on, yes, I might be a little impatient with God, but I'm still going to hope in him. I'm still going to strengthen myself in him. I'm going to strengthen my heart. The other thing that James teaches us about perseverance here with Job Have you heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about? The reward wasn't in the midst of the trial for Job. Job had to go through the whole trial. He had to go through all of the suffering, and then he saw God's blessing and reward. Sometimes I think we get this mindset that, well, if I'm going through it right now, God needs to bless me right now. That's not how it works. There is no victory without a battle. There's no mountaintops without climbing them up, climbing up them and the suffering of trying to get there. We have to persevere, and then we will see God's blessing. The colleague I told you about that I was a little impatient with this week, he didn't tell me, that, tell me this week, but he has been known to say, what testimony would we have if we had no trials? And at the end of the book of Job, Job was given twice as much as he had before. Helen Keller, who became the first deaf and blind person in the United States to earn a college degree, said this, A happy life consists not in the absence, but in the mastery of hardships. The perseverance through hardships. And why can we persevere? James tells us because the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. In those difficult times, he's with you. We sang about the fourth man in the fire, talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's full of compassion and mercy. He's going to meet you in that place. He's going to strengthen your heart in that place so that he can be glorified and you can be purified. Now, We have one more verse to look at. I know most of us look at it and tie it in with what's been going on, and we're like, huh? I mean, I did. Our teaching team gets together, and we were dialoguing about, what does this verse mean? Why are we placing verse 12 in here? James says, at the end of patience with people, patience and circumstances, persevere, above all. So that's like an emphasis there. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. Really? Why, why is that there? I think most of us who've been through it, been in suffering, been in difficulties, a light bulb's going to come on in just a sec. Because in the midst of that suffering, what do we do? We try and bargain. God, if you do this, I'll do that. God, if you take care of this person, then I'll do that. Or we even try and bargain with people. Or maybe we say, but somebody, somebody's really getting under our skin. We might even say something to them that we don't mean. Just to get them out of our hair. Just to ease the situation. And James says, don't do that. Strengthen your heart and be truthful and honest in your communication with each other and with God. Don't try and bargain with God and say things you don't mean. Because that's not how God is glorified and you are purified. And that's his goal. Before I jump into the application, I wanted to 
share just an illustration. Uh, Mel and I were, uh, we were in Japan in April visiting all of our first-termers, and uh, we came across uh, this artwork, it's pottery artwork, and I know sometimes when we go through suffering, we often think that we're broken, our br- suffering breaks us, and we, these, we have these broken pieces, and we feel like we don't, we're not worth as much anymore. We don't have value. We're not useful anymore. And in Japan, there's this artwork called kintsugi. And kintsugi, what it does is it takes the broken pottery and it puts it back together and seals it with gold. So the places that are broken actually become more dynamic and more beautiful because of those broken pieces and where the gold is filled in. And it becomes stronger because of the gold holding it together. I thought, what a beautiful picture of us and our suffering. God is glorified. The gold is him. We're purified and made useful for his purposes again in the midst of the difficulties that we're going through. Kintsugi. A visual picture of God restoring us, redeeming us, and using us for his kingdom purposes. Whether you're in it now, you just come out of it, or you're going back into it. So a couple of application points for us this morning. First is, have you ever received Jesus' suffering on your behalf? He suffered the ultimate suffering for you. Because he wants to meet you in your suffering. Because he wants to strengthen your heart and to glorify himself in your life. If you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, you've never surrendered control of your life to him, you've never invited him into your suffering and your heartache, I encourage you to do that today. Application point number two, strengthen your heart. You might say, well, I'm not in suffering. Well, strengthen your heart now so you're ready when you go into it. Strengthen your heart. Have you been running from God? Have you been trying to figure it out on your own? Come back to Him and to His Word. Spend time praying. Fill your mind with praise music. Get into community. Strengthen your heart. What do you need to do starting today to strengthen your heart in the midst of suffering and difficulties? And application number three, how will you glorify God in your suffering? How will you let those broken pieces shine through? And I can tell you from our experience, our deepest sorrow, our most difficult seasons are what God has used to bring glory to himself and to minister to other people. Even this crisis we've been dealing with this week, the wisdom we've been able to speak into the situation, the way we've been able to work in it has been as a result of our own heartache and pain and suffering of years ago that we allowed God to come into and seal up and use and redeem. I tried to rip some of those pages out. I wanted them hidden. I didn't want people to see my brokenness. And yet it's in that brokenness and that pain and that heartache that God receives so much glory and he can work so much through your life to impact the lives of others who are hurting in this church and in this community. We're going to enter into a time of communion right now. The ushers are going to come forward and 
And they're going to distribute. I want you to just hold on to it when you get it. They're going to give you, pass the baskets down and you'll just take one out. You're going to hold on to it. But communion, an opportunity to come together in community to strengthen our hearts by remembering that suffering that Jesus went through, that he endured for you and for me. Why did he do it? Out of love. And when we come back and we reflect on that and we pause and we can surrender again to Jesus and say, God, you're, in, you're on the throne. I've been trying to do it myself. It's not working. Matter of fact, when the early church would gather to partake in communion, they would pause. And they would ask God to show them things that needed to be made right, to confess. And we were instructed that if you have something against your brother, if you have that impatience against your brother, you've been grumbling against them, you've been taking the sickle to them, that you weren't supposed to take communion. You were supposed to leave it and go make that relationship right. I think that's a tremendous reminder for us this morning. It's okay. You can let it go by. You don't have to open it up and take it. If you know that you have a relationship that you need to make right, I want to encourage you to do that today before you partake in communion. On the bottom of the cup, flip it upside down to the, the narrow part. There's a little tab you can pull off. I know it's still being distributed, but you pull that tab off. There's a little piece of bread. The night, night before Jesus was crucified, he gathered his disciples together and he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is a symbol of my body, my body which has been broken for you, my body which has been going to go through suffering on your behalf. And I want you to take that broken body. I want you to eat it as a reminder. Let's do that together. And if you peel back the other side in the cup, Jesus took a cup and he gave it to them and he said, this is a symbol. This is my blood that's been poured out for you. My suffering so that you could be made whole. Drink the cup and remember Jesus' death. Heavenly Father, thank you that you suffered on our behalf. Thank you that you suffered so that we could be forgiven that you suffered so we could be strengthened in our suffering. Thank you that you know intimately what we're walking through, what we have walked through or what we're about to walk through. And God, I thank you that suffering isn't needless, but you have a purpose behind it, that you would be glorified and we would be purified. So that in the midst of whatever we're walking through, we can cling to you and we can cry out it is well with my soul in Jesus name Amen